Hello, everyone. Welcome to Deliberate Connections, the podcast all about deliberately connecting and the impact it has on our world. I am your host, Christiana Frank, a consultant in education, corporations, and mental health. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Deliberate Connections. I am so happy to have Dr. Bond back with me today. Dr. Christopher Bond has over 14 years experience as an accomplished senior level executive manager and is currently the superintendent at Raton, New Mexico, um, as an educational superintendent. And I'm just so excited to have you back on, Dr. Bond. We we started a little bit during the beginning of this year uh, covering your paper, Use the F-words in school, or my principal uses the F-word. And we I wanted to take it uh, bit by bit because each each, uh, title you had in your paper, uh, it kind of stood out on its own. So we are on daddy issues, and I would first just like to say hello. How are you? I'm doing really well. You know, uh, I'm glad to be back. I, I know you know that I just had major spine surgery, and I'm feeling much better. In fact, the pain that I'm in right now, because it's only been three weeks, is is a lot better than the pain I was in pre-surgery. So I'm excited and looking forward to that six-week mark was when our surgeon's saying that I'll be able to exercise and get back to normal again. So I'm feeling a lot better and I'm glad to be back at work and working with children. And I'm glad to see that the organization was sustainable in my little uh, stint away from the school for a while while I was getting surgery. That's got to be tough sometimes just taking pause, you know, taking pause to heal and know that the world is still going, going right. But to be able to relax. So I I hope you are on, you know, you're definitely on the up and up and you're looking good because I can see you. Nobody else is going to be able to see you, but (laughs) so you're looking good. So, okay. So my principal uses the F word. So just um, for just fun, because we've gone through some of the different sections of this paper. um, Could you give me like an overall view? of just why you wrote this paper in a few sentences and then what you mean by daddy issues within uh, an organization? Well, Christiana, that's a really good question. You know, I came into education uh, accidentally. I think we've talked about that numerous times. I thought I was going to be in law enforcement or I thought I was going to be a clinical psychologist at one time and, and it changed and I accidentally fell into education. It was because of my love of coaching. And, um, And through my coaching experience in football and wrestling, I realized that, you know, you can take the kids out onto the court or the mat or out to the field and you can drill and you can do all these events. But if you don't make it fun, the kids stop coming and they stop giving their best effort. And there's some trust that's in there because you show a lot of vulnerability as a human being when you allow people to make mistakes and have a lot of fun. Well, then I became a classroom teacher. And I realized that it was all about academics, academics, academics. And I'm not against the academic component because that's what we're hired to do. But I found that kids just didn't want to be in school. And if they're not in school, you've lost half the battle because they're just not there. And so right away, I realized that if I started to embed some things into my classroom that made it a lot more enjoyable for students and it made it okay to be a risk taker and it made it okay to to be a little bit rebellious and try some things and question things. And kids started having a lot more fun and they started coming to school. And when they were coming to school, then I could teach them. And when I could teach them, the achievement started to take care of itself. And unfortunately, the leadership at the time 
sort of came and, and struck down on me because they assumed that if kids were laughing, smiling, and having fun, there must not be any learning going on. So I started calling fun the new F word, <laughs> that word. And, um, and then I myself moved into the leadership realm, and I found out quickly that this is really the way our organizations are structured. And though we want our kids to have good academic achievement, half the battle is having them in school every day. Yeah, you know, oh, go ahead. And, and half the battle is, is looking at ourselves in the mirror and yeah. finding out why kids don't want to be in our schools. And when you ask them, it's because it's boring. It's not fun. You know, we're doing these lessons. It's drill and kill. And as an adult, I wouldn't like that. And we're dealing with, with teenagers and we're, mo- we're trying to motivate them and, and inspire them, but we're not allowing fun to be available in our organizations. So it, it's sort of a systems problem we've created ourselves. Yeah, you know, and I, I I could really go on and on on this because it just grabbed my attention when I, I read your paper because I come from a situation where I work with a lot of kids in trauma and I speak to trauma quite a bit. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be as complicated as the student who can't uh, stay focused and aware in the classroom because there is trauma going on or they're disassociating. It can be as simple as I'm just bored or unmotivated. And unless we do that or we bring that that stimulation into the classroom, we're losing most of our students. And the reason why I am so interested in your paper is one, it is written just, it's so impactful. And you're touching on just the big picture of it all and you break it down. So the, this paper, my principal uses the F word, um, just spoke to me as far as um, all the the um, consulting work I did, I've been bringing this up, you know, we say as young children, let's go, you have your kids come over and play. You go, hey, you know, Johnny, Susie, do you want to come over and play? And there's that, that feeling in that word. And then when you get to middle school, it's almost like we don't get to play anymore, but Johnny and Susie are coming to hang out. And then that wording is a different feeling. And that play kind of gets lost lost outside of seventh grade, sixth grade. We start to lose that ability to play. And now circling back around, we're learning on a science level, on a neuroscience level, that play and fun is where we're going to learn. And the biggest message I'm finding in this, and then I want to move on to daddy issues because I could go, uh, seriously, Dr. Bond, I could go on and on. But if you think about it, you have information. And when you attach information that you're trying to give, which is that core content to emotion or deliberate fun or or, or a feeling, that's where you're going to get long term memory. You give information to people and they have no uh, buy into it or no attachment to it. You might make that test, but this is short term memory and you're not going to remember it or it's not going to become who you are. So because of your paper, and I'm really excited to say this, I have been actually going information plus emotion and experience makes long term memory. And nobody can really see what I just showed you by putting one hand out and another and linking them together. But the idea, and that's the biggest takeaway. So um, with this, with daddy issues, this was the chat that the part of your paper rather that I had the, the most difficult time wrapping my head around. And I was hoping you could explain a little bit about daddy issues within uh, an organization. Well, Christiana, thank you. And, you know, I'm, I'm really a systems thinker. And again, I will go on to say that I believe the results that a system get is exactly what the system was designed to give it. And so when I wrote the, the, the breakout or the chapter on daddy issues, um, I, I might have needed to go back and rewrite that because I don't want to be sexist. 
Um, but I, I wanted to say that many of the problems that we're having in our systems, especially in education, we as educators have put upon ourselves. Um, and, and I read a comment the other day, and it's really stuck in my heart that sometimes we mess things up with the best intentions. And I remember an example of this is, you know, when a baby is crying, we always want to pick that baby up and hug it and, and give it whatever it needs because it's better to not hear the baby cry. And sometimes we need to let things happen so that the baby learns to work through, you know, discomfort and things like that. So it isn't crying all the time. And so we had good intentions by picking that baby up every single time it cries, but then we're complaining because the baby constantly has to be picked up and caressed and, and, and it still doesn't ever stop crying because it just figures out whenever I want something, I just cry more and more. So we have good intentions, but sometimes we mess up systems. And, and I think we've done that in our own current system of public education. And, and I go on to talk about this in the chapter because what, what I have found out, and I know from personal experience is that we, we hire these big think tank companies, our government does. We did it when, with the Common Core. We had these big think tank and we bring in all these educators from all over the country. And I'm gonna just be real quite honest with you. And this is me speaking frankly, as a leader, typically the people that I allow to go to those think tanks are the people that I wouldn't mind not having at work that day, or the students aren't missing much if that teacher's not at school. So, and I've talked to many of my colleagues that have said the same exact thing. Yeah, I let Mrs. Such and Such go and Mr. Such and Such go to these think tanks because all they do is give me headaches at school all day. Well, if I've talked to a hundred of my colleagues and they're doing it and I'm doing it, we're creating these think tanks of people that probably aren't always the best people that need to be at those think tanks, um, putting together curriculum and assessments and discussing what kids really need to know. So that's one of the problems we have. The second problem with it is that in our society, we haven't valued education in probably over 50 years. And I've spoken to you many times that I travel internationally. And when I go to other countries, I have actually a dual status. I'm a doctorate. So I get called doctor. And then because I'm an educator, I get called professor. So in many societies, I'm called doctor professor because in many societies, if you're an educator, it's a very esteemed profession, very well respected. But in our country, we've lost a lot of respect. Our profession is very underpaid. Our teachers are not recognized. They're constantly being held accountable. Working conditions have just gotten atrocious in the last 20, 30 years. Our costs have gone up and our budgets have gone down. And I can show you evidence of this. Um, so what has happened is in our efforts to make society value us again, we want to prove to society how intelligent we are and how hard we work and what we're capable of doing. So we put together these huge comprehensive programs for students, but they're not really about students. It's to prove that nobody else can do the job that we do in hopes that somebody will recognize that and say, oh, our teachers need more respect. Our teachers need to be paid and compensated more. Our teachers need to be valued. We need to take care of our schools because they take care of our children. And so what has happened is, is over the last 20 years, we've created these systems to prove to the world how intelligent we are and how hard we work. But in, in, in retrospect, what we've done is we've created a system that is bound to implode upon us. Yeah. And so I, I say that as daddy issues because we're trying to show big brother or we're trying to show uncle Sam, or we're trying to show 
our government that you need to take notice of the work we do and take value in it. And you need to invest in it and look at all the things that we're teaching kids to do and nobody else can do it. So please value us, value us, value us. But what we've done is we've created this monster for us to try to dig out of. And there's really not much in there that I don't believe kids should be able to do and know. But we had good intentions, but we created a systems nightmare for ourselves. Interesting. Yeah. So that kind of clear, you know, I started to look at that through the framework of, you know, the big brother, which you state in there, but I, I got a little bit confused with, um, the idea of the educational reform, and now that makes sense. So what you're talking about is educational reform basically comes up like every four to five years, and that's when we're supposed to reinitiate an idea. And what's happening is we're just getting too complicated and able to prove it, to, in, in order to prove it. Is that Absolutely. correct? Yeah, and I thought, I, thought you know, I could it, ask you before the podcast, and I was like, well, I'll just ask right, right in the middle of it. So you, you hit the nail right on the head. And the thing I want to say right now for the public that's listening, we love to go out and blame our governors and we love to blame the president and we love to blame our legislators. But the reality of it is there's not one governor or legislator or a politician that's writing these curriculums and putting together these assessments. It's actually educators doing it. And they're respecting us enough to say, well, hey, if these if this group of 150 educators said this is what we need to be assessing in science, I'm not a science teacher, so I don't know any better. So they adopt it. And then once it adopts, but the problem is, is we're never going to go backwards. We're never going to lower the standards. We're never going to change the assessments. And so every four to five years, like you said, there's this educational reform and we love to go out and blame our legislators. But the truth of it is, is there's not one legislator that's putting that material together that's getting voted on. And they are respecting us enough to say, hey, you're the educators. We're going to take your word for this. But I think we need to go back and reevaluate you know, what is it that we're really trying to accomplish? Are we trying to bring attention to the fact that we're underfunded and underpaid and we're overassessed and we're held accountable uh, to a higher degree than we probably should be? Or are we really doing this to make kids better in an academic world? And, and I think I can go back and say, when you really look at the motivation, and I've participated in some of these think tanks, a lot of times it's Let's show our legislators, let's show the community, let's show the public how hard we work and how uh, defined our degrees are. And really that discussion is really about me, not about children. And in the end, it's the children that have to pay the price for this. And how can anybody have fun when they know they can never walk away from the game victorious? I go back to my little coaching analogies. And I'm not gonna go to two days for three straight weeks in 115 degree temperatures and 90% humidity to know and find out that at the end of the season, I'm going to be 0 and 10. Yeah. And that's how a lot of our children feel. And that honestly, a lot of our educators are feeling this way. And this is why there's this mass exodus of people coming into our profession because they come in and they're like, look, I'm not going to get compensated for all the stuff that I do and the stress that's involved in it. But secondly, you know, I work as hard as I can work and I give my best effort every day. And many of my students are not achieving in fact, nationally, nationally, only about 31 to 32 percent of students are proficient in any of their standards at the state level. That means 68, 69, 70 percent aren't proficient. Who who would get excited about working in those situations? But it's not that the children can't learn. It's that we've created a system so that they won't be successful in those assessments 
they won't be successful. And we have to look at doing things a lot differently. Gosh, Dr. Bond, I just love your outlook and your ability to speak to this information. I, I thank you so much. This is from the paper, my principal uses the F word, transforming organizations in critical condition with Dr. Christopher Bond. And uh, stay tuned, we'll be coming up with the, the final, final paper, uh, the final chapter. But for now, Dr. Bond, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Christiana, and I hope you hope to see you again soon. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to. All right. And welcome back, Dr. Christopher Bond. Uh, this is Christiana Frank with Deliberate Connections. And I am going to stop there. We go. All right. This is Christiana Frank with Deliberate Connections. And I am so honored to be back with Dr. Christopher Bond. Uh, Dr. Christopher Bond and I are talking about his paper, My Principal Uses the F Word, Transforming Organizations in a Critical Condition. Uh, Dr. Bond is, I think it's 14 years now of experience as an accomplished senior level executive manager. He is currently the superintendent at Raton, New Mexico. Mexico School District. And, and today we're talking about um, climate and culture. Dr. Bon, hello. Hello. Thank you for welcoming back, Christiana. And I'm really excited to be here. Um, and I'm honored that you even chose me to be part of your Deliberate Connections. Well, you know, it's funny. I started this a little bit pre before um, what we're coming to know as our, what is it? Is it 2021 COVID pandemic? I'm getting confused with the time timing of this, but we started a little bit right before that. And it's, 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 um, my main goal was to reach out to people that are deliberately connecting in this world and the impact that they're having on themselves or others or the world at large. And after reading your paper, it just spoke to the title. This, this paper is about deliberately connecting with the educational system and the folks that are involved in it and making sure they're happy and making sure they're having fun and the key components that are needed to create an organization like that. And uh, most folks know that I am immersed a bit in education, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about um, what can be done different as well as offering the steps. You know, I, I guess I should rephrase that as I hear a lot of people talking about what can be different, but they don't offer a system for it, or they don't say this is what's happening and this is what can be done to improve that or change the situation. And this is what you do. In this print, this paper, my principal uses the F word, F word being for fun, um, in case anyone was wondering. Um, but we're on all about climate and culture. So if I was to be so bold as to just start this off with my thoughts on this, it would be, you know, uh, climate and culture is what you feel, what you hear, what you see, what you experience as either the learner or the teacher. And, and what are some things that you believe create a very successful climate and culture in pre-K through 12 education? Well, Christiana, I think that's a very good question. And, and I would start off by saying, first of all, I have to deliberately, mm. because it's in, not in my personality, to put on shows. And so um, I know that you're a part of Applied Improv, and I'm very, very, I'm a huge fan of the work that you do because I've seen it uh, increase engagement, motivation, and, and innovation in students. And, it, and it's a very creative way of doing things. But 
I'm not that person. And so I have too participated in many of your seminars so that I could learn to deliberately smile and yes and and look people in the eyes and stand in the neutral position. Um, but I take that over to culture and climate because a lot of educators and a lot of leaders that come into an organization, they're all about, let's, it's academic, academic, academic. And I get concerned by that because I believe, and I've had a lot of success, and I know you've done your homework on me. And, and when I go into organizations, I really spend a lot of time on climate and culture. Um, I go in, a lot of the teachers and the staff members, they don't feel valued. They feel disenfranchised. A lot of the students are disenfranchised. They stop coming to school. Enrollment is declining. Um, people are giving their best effort, but they're just not having a whole lot of fun. And I look at it uh, from an external point of view is that when I walk into that organization, what do I see that makes me want to continue? Is it clean? Is it fun? Is it inviting? Is it inspiring? Is it motivating? And I have to tell you, looking at this through the mirror, I'm not one of those people. I'm not a party planner, but I deliberately tell myself I have to get better at this because this is important in an organization. Um, in many of the schools that I work in, you know, they, they have pieces of tile missing in the hallways and they wonder why there's graffiti located close to that area. And it's because we're conveying a message in our climate and culture that we're not valuing this enough. So why should the students or the people that are our clients and customers value it? And so that's one of the things that I look at. The other thing is, is that we do a lot of things in organizations. You know, we have professional development in schools and in many schools, we have what we call uh, late, late start or early release days, either way. Well, in many schools, they choose to do early release days where the kids leave early and the staff stays a little bit later for professional development, which is a good concept. But our teachers are exhausted. They worked hard all day. They haven't had a bathroom break in many situations. And I know the teachers listening here are shaking their head. Yes. <laughs> and so then you bring them all into an auditorium and you say, okay, we're going to start working again. And they've been working hard all day. And I'm a, a firm believer that there's no fault. And in fact, I believe it enhances your, your morale and you inspire people more and you have better influence. If you have a cold beverage, hot coffee, something that smells really good. I always have popcorn popping around, uh, cinnamon rolls, you know, might not, might not always be a hot meal, but it's always something that says, Hey, I recognize that you're hot, you're tired, you're thirsty. And we got some work to do, but we can take a few minutes and stand in the line and shake somebody's hand and greet and smile and, and enjoy a beverage. And I even take that a little bit further with our students. I encourage my teachers to do things like embed a baking lesson into their math lesson when they're doing measurements or taking kids on urban hikes where they're learning about flora and fauna at the same time as they're getting some physical fitness in. Um, changing things up a little bit so that it just doesn't become this monotonous kind of environment where people just don't want to be there. And I'll tell you the other thing is a fresh coat of paint. Yes. A wonders and rebranding an organization. I remember a school district and I won't mention, but I know you've worked in that school district. They had the same teal green paint on the outside buildings for over 30 years. The buildings hadn't been repainted. All the buildings around them were painted that sort of that office taupe, beige color. So the building stuck out like a sore thumb. 
I remember when I first got there, there was a family that drove up with five kids and the dad and the mom drove up and said, we're not going to send our kids to this school. They never even walked in and seen that we had amazing things going on there. So that summer we had a summer paint party and we repainted the schools to match the environment and it looked professional and we fixed the windows and we got the doors working again. And it was amazing because many of the families that lived in the community returned back to our school because they believed that it was a new, fresh start. Something good was going to happen. And I'm going to tell you, it cost us only about $500 in paint and some volunteers and people were excited to do it. So for me, I always begin and I believe in beginning in enhancing the climate and the culture of the organization before we actually get to the grassroots of fundamental academics and making kids learn. And of course, all the other things like how to get along with one another. And, but I believe the climate and culture sets the tone for the environment and is what determines if the environment is conducive to learning. You know, I got, there's a couple, there's two things I wanted to say, but I I think I'm going to be asking you, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be asking you, like if we could only pick three things to change the climate and culture and you had no money to do it, no funds to do it, what would that look like? But before, you know, I think about, you know, uh, I was talking to a group of educators the other day about wearing your costume to work, meaning, you know, getting a certain outfit on to feel confident to speak or to feel like a leader or to feel like standing in front of the class. And that made me think of the front of a school. And when you're proud of what you look like, and I'm not saying you have to have the $200 outfit, you just have that outfit that get it out of the thrift store. I don't know that outfit that makes you feel good and successful. And that makes me think of, you know, the, the grounds of a school, whether it be the paint on the outside, the floor, the graffiti in the bathrooms, but having that pride. And then secondly, I, as a consultant, and I tend to do more educational consulting than anything else, I get to go into a lot of teachers' lounges, um, a lot of teachers' lounges in different states, in different countries. And one thing that's always stood out is um, how welcoming it is with just your five senses. What does the lighting look like? Does it feel like it's a break? Is it warm in there? Is it cold in there? Are there nice, comfortable chairs? Is it a place to take a break? Oh, look, there's some nice, healthy snacks or some snacks. And that just feeds our bellies and makes us want to be there. And I'll tell you, there are some school districts I drive to and I feel like I want to, I've asked myself this question, but I'll feel myself getting very excited to get there. And I go, okay, well, what is that? Yes, it's going to be the relationship that I have with that school district, those kids, those teachers or whatnot. But I had a good chuckle with my husband the other day because I go, you know what? I got really excited for their tea service because I know at lunch I'm going to get a nice hot cup of tea and I'm going to feel really, really good and warm and toasty in that room. But it's it's that whole experience um, and that that feeling of, um, of belonging in there and that welcoming. And then I will tell you um, to warm your heart. I happened to be in one of your past school districts the other day and a teacher brought up how much they missed you. They said, you know, Dr. Bond, I would come and, and forgive me. I don't know if you did this in the morning or at lunch, but I will guess it was around lunch. And they said, oh, Dr. Bond, when he was here, there would be chilies and some meat and some tortillas. And I would come and I would be able to grab these spicy things. And he just started talking about how these were some of his favorite school days. 
So, um, but you know, grandma's apple pie in the window. We've all seen those visuals. It draws the grandkids in, right? I, I think I'm led by my stomach and my comfort level when I go to these districts. So um, for sure, for sure that welcoming feeling and then also being proud of where you are um, and who you're connecting with. But if I was to say, okay, I've got a, or I'm a superintendent, I'm not, but I, let's say I am, I'll pretend that I'm a superintendent of a school district. And, um, I'm not going to say our, our buildings are the best right now. They could probably get redone a little bit, but I get to do three things and I don't have any funding to change. Besides, maybe I can go buy paint or things like this, but I'm not going to be able to go hire somebody to redo my school district or hire someone to cater to my team every day. What might that look like? So I think there's a multitude of things that you can do. But to answer that question is, one, what you can do to make your client, your students, your customer, whatever you yeah, want to like call I like that. Them, Clients, yes. <laughs> what you can do to make them feel wow, he really thinks about me. I know we all love to dress casual and you and I have had this conversation that, you know, the first impression is the lasting impression. I mean, I was just reading a study the other day that most people in leadership are hired based on their sex appeal and their camera uh, friendly faces, not on what their ability to accomplish goals are. And, and they, there was even a study done on our presidency that our presidents are elected based on their how they look and how they're able to stand up in front of a camera. And if, instead of arguing it, let's take some of that to value and say, do our kids know when we dress up and look professional that we're dressing up for them and that we're respecting them and their families enough to look professional? I know schools, you know, it's okay once in a while to have fun and do your pajama day and do your costume day and your character book day and all those things. I'm not speaking to that, but I really have a problem when I go into schools and you know, the staff are walking around and they got wrinkled jeans on and they got a white t-shirt on with a big old burrito stain on it. Ah. You know, the, the, the kids around us, everybody takes notice of that. And they start thinking, hey, look, if they don't care enough to dress up, why do I care enough to dress up? Clean your organization. You may not have money to repaint. You may not have money to to change some of your fixtures in your, but you can certainly make sure that you're picking up the trash and that it becomes a, a custom of everybody. And I don't want to give a plug to anybody, but I had the opportunity to go to Disney and study the Disney way. It's everybody's responsibility at Disney parks to pick up trash, not just the custodians. And that's why when you go to Disneyland, it is, Im it's impeccable. It is beautiful. And it's because the whole culture has decided that they're going to pick up the trash. And the funny thing is when I go to Disneyland, I actually watch because I went through the training, people will actually walk to the trash cans and throw their trash away instead of throwing it down on the ground because it is so clean. So those are some things that we can do in our school. Be available and greet people. Oh, I know yes. there's a big training out there called Love and Logic. And I know um, there's just a lot of training that tells people that why they need to stand at the door and greet kids. It makes common sense, but the reality of it is, is that people internally believe like, hey, they've taken the time to invest in me, to know about me, to greet me, to smile at me. It changes the whole thing. You and I have had that conversation about two people standing on the, on the porch in the hot, blistering sun, and one looks at the other person and says, man, it's hot outside. 
Why do we continuously do that? Because then the whole conversation about that is about misery and heat and scaldering sun and all that stuff. Instead of talking about how beautiful and bright it is and how the, the, the trees are green, we have to retrain ourselves to talk about all the things that are going well in our organization and have a little bit of fun with it. Um, but we, we're just creatures of habit. We love, misery loves company. So if I'm hot, I got to get everybody else around me to be miserable because they're hot also. Instead of talking about how the trees flourish in the heat because of the, you know, whatever you want to call it or how the sky's so blue today. I don't know, I'm up here in Raton, New Mexico right now, and we've had snow almost every single day. I'm looking outside and thinking about how beautiful it is that the sun is so bright. And now I need to convey that to other people. And it's, you know what that is too. And I, I, I think I'm going to be able to speak to this even stronger. Um, I'm taking some classes on just brain development and that kind of stuff, but you know, it's, it's, it's breaking these mindsets, you know, um, they're saying, uh, you know, a lot of it that the negativity is where we go in this animal instinct, because it's, it's supposed to warn us of fears and dangers. And I don't know, go outside and we go, what a beautiful day is half of us. The other half say, Oh my gosh, it's, so hot. I mean, maybe these folks being in their animal instinct brain, because if you're too hot, you're going to get dehydrated and, and, and die as an animal if you don't pay attention and get some cool or get some water. So we're actually fighting against, you know, general, I mean, what just long time or forever behaviors that our, our brains have uh, built in order to survive our survival skills. So changing these mindsets for climate and culture, I think is, is very important and um, how we view things and how we get the folks around us to jump onto our boat and view things like that as well. Um, so you said, so we've got two, so we've got basically changing mindsets. What was the first one? Remind me. Well, I talked about, you know, making people know that you appreciate them and you're thinking about them and you're investing in them. And so yet, that could be dressing up. That could be bringing in food on your, you know, on your spare time, bringing in something for somebody to eat or covering a teacher's classroom so they can go buy a thirst buster. You sub that day for them. So recognizing their efforts and the things that they're doing, pointing those out, highlighting them, doing it for students. Also, we had uh, at power Monday at our schools and it's voluntary, but I have about 75% of the kids that dress professionally to come to school on Mondays. And I did it on Mondays because a lot of people hated to come to school on Mondays. But yeah. now people were getting excited to try to outdress the superintendent or the principal. See you know, that. and it was a competition and it was a lot of fun. And and the teachers were doing it. And 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 so, but but the kids would say, it's because you've invested in me. Just like you said that the teacher said they missed me. Yeah. Around here on Sundays, when I cook for the family, I typically cook five times more than we need because I'm gonna take the next day and to work a bunch of food for people to eat because I want them to know that I'm even thinking about you on the weekends. Keeping your facilities clean. Yeah. That's easy to do. Everybody picks up trash. I, nobody can, you know, right now I have a back problem. I'm going to go buy me a gopher to pick things up. But I, when you see me on campus and I see trash, I will walk out of my way to go pick up that trash and throw it away. And people see me doing that. And it's amazing to watch the, the other people in around me start picking up trash and throwing it away. As soon as they see that that's something that I value is having a clean impeccable campus. And even and so, those greetings. Yeah. Greetings and being available, greetings and being available. 
You know, Dr. Bond, I got to thank you. Climate and culture with my principal uses the F word, transforming organizations in critical condition. You um, you are truly uh, a dedicated human being. I mean, the way you look at things and the way you keep educating yourself. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new. And in fact, I even had you repeat in this one because your, your, your words and your ideas, they're so descriptive and I can visualize my brain just starts to go off in, into one direction. So I'm really hoping that you will continue to be a guest on Deliberate Connections. And for now, I'm just wishing you a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Christiana.